0: Now, as we move into the teaching portion of our service, as I said in the beginning, that we are moving into a new series uh, where we're going to look at uh, several psalms, particularly psalms uh, for days of trouble. Um, and they. Uh, we're going to start with Psalm 77 this morning. And this is just because yeah, I, I think I've said this almost every single week, and I'm tired of saying it, and yet we still I still continue to have to say it because uh, it's been a tough year. Uh, it's been very up and down and... You know, now that we've, we've been doing all of this uh, stuff for so long with um, COVID and, and everything else, that we're starting to, to kind of feel the weight of that uh, to some degree, even though we're about to you know, get to move about and, and such, such like that. So these psalms are going to be an, an opportunity for us to really take stock of where we are, uh, how we're feeling, and bring that to God. Uh, this, uh, this psalm, Psalm 77, is a corporate lament. This is a psalm that is written for the whole people of God to sing in worship, particularly in a time of trouble, uh, when a kind of trouble that uh, might be facing the whole people together at the same time. So it's quite appropriate. It's also quite beautiful. Um, And it's going to get us to the heart of a matter uh, of a lot of these other situations we're going to look at. And this is the problem of God's forgetfulness. Um, and I'm getting these, this language um, here from this psalm here, verse 9, And when he asks, has God forgotten to be gracious? Because that's often what it feels like when we go through times of trouble, that we have just been forgotten, especially when it continues and it will not end. So with all that being said, I'm going to go to the psalm and I'll read it. I'm going to invite you to open a Bible or to look at it in the email that we sent out because... Uh, we're going to look quite a bit at the text of this psalm. Uh, let's read together. This is God's Word. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, Let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the people's. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, once again, ask that you would send your spirit and and work through your word. pray that what I say would be true and honoring to you. And I pray that, uh, that you would do what only you can do through it. And that is open up our hearts, expose them, and give us the balm of the good news about Jesus and his name we pray. Amen. Um, kind of as I said before in the beginning and just thinking about this year, I think that the whole quarantine COVID thing was kind of like the power going out, um, especially if you have kids, but not just when you have kids and when you were a kid. Um, when the power goes out, it's, it's a crisis in a way. It's kind of fun in the beginning. Like you know, you get to go get the candles out. You remember where the flashlight is. Um, can maybe cozy up on a blanket, uh, tell stories, something like that. You know, it's kind of fun. Uh, but the longer it goes, then it kind of starts to make this gradual transition where it moves not immediately, immediately, but slowly into from fun into all right. When is this going to end? Uh, When phone calls are not answered by the power company, it gets quite frustrating. And then there's just that low level of panic and question that sets in, like, what if I have to do this for hours and even days on end? I think that's kind of just a metaphor for what this has been like for many of us over the last few months. And we've been talking a lot about from the pulpit and community groups and those kinds of things about God's comfort, particularly in situations like this. And that's good. Uh, because of how rich and wonderful it is. Um, We might have even said things about what the Christian life uh, should look like, what the gospel should do in us in situations like this, how it should comfort. And yet, we look at our lives like this, the trouble continues to be troubling. And not only does it not end, but more keeps coming. It seems like every time we turn on any kind of device, there is more trouble um, and certainly not less. And so what it feels like what we have to do is compartmentalize, is like we have, to, we have to have our new self, and we have to have our Christian self, and uh, we have to keep them separate because they don't make sense together. And there are things that if we say out loud, oftentimes it can feel like um, that it would bring God's goodness into question, and we don't want to do that, and uh, so we don't. And we're kind of left with two choices. And it feels like either we have to give up on God and say everything is meaningless and everything is bad. Or we have to give up on ourselves. We have to ignore what's happening and put on a happy face and live in this alternate reality. And what psalms like this do in a really wonderful way is they bring us into a radical reintegration with the truth and all of the truth. The truth about the true struggles that we have in life and also the truth about God and who he is. And so that's what we're going to do here this morning. Um, I've got three points. Some are going to be quick. um, um, Some are going to be longer, uh, particularly here, this first one, because what I want to do is I want to jump in here and go on a journey with this psalm. I kind of want to jump in and swim around. So we're just going to march through some of these verses and go with the flow of the psalm it's inviting of us. So, we're just going to look in the beginning at the emotions of feeling forgotten. Um, and then we're going to look at the questions of feeling forgotten. And then in the end, we're going to say, I'm going to say a word about the art of remembering. And that is, you'll see the structure of how this psalm is written. So, if we just dive in, let me, let's just, I, want, I would like you to read along with me if you can. Um, you know, verse one, we're starting out here. This is in the emotions of feeling forgotten. Uh, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of trouble I seek the Lord, and in the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. And this is is starting off that we are starting this journey in a posture of prayer. Uh, That's what this is telling us with these arms stretched out. Um, And so this is how we are engaging with uh, this trouble is directly with God. But it's also, I think it's interesting There's that there we already see a kind of integration happening with our bodies and our hearts and, and our minds in just the physical posture of this. I think the best illustration of this kind of integration is uh, when you're scared. So I, I used to have this sadistic pleasure when I was a kid of jumping out from behind a corner and uh, scaring my siblings or hiding under their bed and grabbing their ankle uh, right when they were climbing into bed, something like this. And that's that is a a radical integration of where your body and your mind and your heart are all doing the same thing. You know, you can see the fear on the limbs that are flying. But he's kind of applying this to sorrow, um, to this earnestness of the trouble that he is seeking. This is a very embodied um, experience. But then we go on there. So we read, what does this mean? He says, my soul refuses to be comforted as there's sometimes we feel like uh, when things are so troubling that there is no glib, um, the solution that is just going to cut it. Like I refuse to take some kind of a half-hearted solution or something that, that maybe somebody says that um, doesn't even really believe um, something that is shallow. Like I will, will not be comforted until there is justice, till there is real deep resolve. Then when he says, when I remember God, I moan, and when I meditate, my spirit faints. And that is instead of being comforted when I remember the promises of God, he's saying that it actually makes it worse. And sometimes when we're in situations of trouble uh, and we feel those and then we remember these good promises of God, it just doesn't make sense and it almost makes it worse. Like, why is that not the case now? Kind of like if you've ever gone through um, a hard breakup or something, and even the good times, they take on this hard tint to them, and they almost make it worse um, because of those memories. He says, you hold my eyes open. Anyone ever struggle with insomnia? Like you lay on your bed and all these anxious thoughts run through your mind, um, uh, hypothetical situations of what might be, and you cry out to God. And would you please take this away and just let me sleep? I just want to go to sleep. And yet you can't. It almost feels like God is holding your eyes open. Um, and, but then on the other hand, I'm so troubled. I cannot speak that even in public, like I feel like I don't have any, anything to say to anybody else. And so you're caught in between. I can't sleep. I can't be alone and just be at peace. And I can't be with people and be at peace either. Uh, there's nowhere I can go for refuge. Sometimes we feel that way. And he says, I consider the days of old, the years long ago, and said, let me remember my song in the night and let me meditate in my heart. As if to say, there was a time when I had a joyful song and I remember that. I remember what that was like, but that is not today. And that feels so far away. You know, you see these things. um, These are the emotions of what it feels like to be forgotten uh, by God, to be in a time of trouble and to be confused about what it all what it all means Um, it's this is very real stuff here Uh, these are things that many of us would uh, relate to quite uh, quite starkly and i just want to remind us all before we move on what we said in the very beginning we said that this is god's word and we actually gave thanks to him for it that these words are a gift that has been given to us by god and we have said that these are good words um, because all of God's Word is good. And so what we're invited to do is to actually look at these things. We're invited to sit in the emotions, to actually feel them, um, and, then, and rather than to you know, separate either or either reject God or to reject ourselves, that here is our invitation through in this journey uh, to reintegrate, um, to hold all of the truth in front of our eyes and get in, and wrestle with it. So those are the emotions of feeling forgotten. But where does that lead us in this psalm? And I think, and this is where we're going to the questions of feeling forgotten. And we see here in verses seven through nine, all these questions come. And I just want to say before um, even reading them, that this is very natural. And we have both impulsive questions that naturally come into our heart. And sometimes we have good questions that we can answer. But I think what we would all say is true is that when we feel these things, um, it it gives us questions. And that is that we're always trying to find meaning as to what's happening, what's happening to us. Almost none of us just, we go through a hard time and say it just is what it is, but that we're actually interpreting what is going on. What does this mean about me? And what does this mean about life? Um, and that's exactly what um, the psalmist does. But now let's look at what he says. The things he said is, so if all this is true, if this is what I'm feeling, like, does this mean that the Lord is going to spurn me forever and never again be favorable? Is this the new normal? Is this what I just have to get used to? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time, like in totality? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Uh, has he shut, has he in anger shut up his compassion? And I think what we see here something that's happening is these questions of where of where they are leading is interpreting a meeting meaning and it, it's illustrating for us this principle that especially happens in situations of suffering and trauma. And that where we are, it feels like everything. it's not just it doesn't feel like just a moment, but it actually it it gets into our minds and creates this matrix of this must be what life is like. This is all I can think of. This is, I can't view any aspect of life uh, from any other angle than what I'm currently experiencing. And it feels very oppressive. Um, And especially, I want to just draw attention to here in verse nine, where he says, has he in anger shut up his compassion? And that maybe we look for reasons. Maybe there's things that I've done. Or if you've ever struggled with addiction of any sort, uh, this perpetual patterns of even sin that we can't come to grips with, that um, we know this about ourselves and we know how we have, we, have, we have sinned against God and other people again and again and again and don't see a lot of hope for change. And we can see, like, you know, maybe God has, is just cashing in on his anger. Maybe the compassion side of his promises are just not there. Uh, maybe this is what is happening and if you've ever been anxious or stressed, you know um, that your heart is not always in the right place. And so you maybe you've even had someone say to you that, you know, you you went through that time and you were so calm and you were so faithful. And yet, you know, inside it kind of stings a little bit because, you know, what you are really feeling like inside. Um, these are the conclusions. We're always trying to find meaning to these questions and drawing conclusions. But how are these questions useful here in this psalm? Look here at verse 6, and this is what is, this is, what is different this is about the journey that we're being invited to go on with it um, to just the impulsive questions that uh, we come up with. He says, um, this last line, and then my spirit made a diligent search. So rather than just taking what is coming, that he has actually applied his heart to these things to diligently search them out and to evaluate what is really true about me and about God. And look at what happens here. How would you answer these things? Has the Lord spurned his people forever? Does he deal with people according to their sin? Or as Psalm 103 says, has he removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west? Has he his promises end? And so there's a way when we actually give voice to these questions, when we lay out what is inside, that as one commentator says, it reveals some inner contradictions in the way that we are feeling and the way that we are thinking. And that the conclusions that are drawn from just one moment are very incomplete when we start to think about the bigger story. And the broader context. It doesn't mean that those feelings are not there, but it does mean there is much more to the story than this. Someone else said, which I like, that these questions, they're not, a spiritual, uh, they're not a spiritual activity in and of themselves, that the value is not in just having these questions, but where they are taking us, what they are exposing, what they are leading us to see. And I think what is happening here with this psalmist is that in the coming out with these questions, of actually saying them, he is able to be exposed. He is able to see uh, the untruths that he has concluded. Um, He is able to uh, consider again the bigger story that he is a part of. And so, you know, there's a sense in which that these questions, we are not rejected for having these questions. Uh, We are invited to bring them up, but in that invitation that part of the mercy is actually having the light shown on them. And we're also invited to think I know we like to think that, you know, we've passed the modernist times where if we can just be rational enough, um, then all of our problems will go away. We know that's not true. But yet this is there's an argument happening here with ourselves, um, that this is part of our spiritual life, um, uh, that we would argue with ourselves that we would think that we actually evaluate these voices going in our head. Is this really true or is it not? So we see here that we're kind of making a shift on this journey. We've, we've acknowledged these questions, um, that we, these emotions that we have of what it can feel like and the impact that that has on our souls when we are going through times of trouble. And we've given voice to some of these, um, these questions, uh, these conclusions that just come naturally um, that we think about, uh, these questions that come from feeling forgotten. But yet we're also starting to see, you know, a bend in the road from um, what is just natural for us and that we're invited to wrestle. We're invited to make a diligent search. We're invited to think. We're invited to seek God out um, in the midst of this so that we might know and experience the truth. But here's the issue there. Here's we're transitioning this last point, the, the art of remembering. One of the hard parts about this and one of the reasons why I think we often struggle to do this is because we don't necessarily want to know the answer to these questions. Sometimes we're afraid of what the answers to these questions might mean or they might mean that this is going to continue and this is going to stay and that God actually is involved in our life and yet we're experiencing this and those can be true at the same time or many others. And so what resources do we have here in this psalm? Um, that help us, that help us along this journey um, that we might uh, be able to trust and open ourselves back up to God again. And this is the art of remembering. So here, in starting in verse 10, then he says, I will appeal now to this, to the years at the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. So you see, there's a shift that's happened here in remembering, where earlier remembering was a source of sorrow. When I remember God, um, I moan. It actually causes my spirit to faint. But here is what I'm calling a redemptive kind of remembering. This is redemptive remembering of, of an act of seeking out of the Lord and, and grappling with the truth that is centered here uh, on the deeds of the Lord, the things that he has done in the past and what they mean for the future. And I would say, remembering and rehearsing the things of the past, there there are all kinds of resources that God gives when we are in this time. Um, And this is only one of them, but this is an important one that we are, in this psalm, invited to to reckon with. To remember what God has done. And what is he remembering here? Um, If we look through here, these deeds of old, his mighty deeds, um, God's way that's holy... How great God is, who is the God, like what God is great like our God. Uh, You are the God who works wonders. And we see what these wonders are in starting in verse 15 um, with his redemption of his people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Um, and then this talk about the waters. He's talking about the Exodus, he's talking, rehearsing the scene of the Exodus, where the children of Jacob and Joseph that were led into Egypt and who were enslaved for 400 years. And yet there, God revealed himself in a special way to his people that he is not the God who is far off, but he is the redeeming God. And that he came to them in that moment. Um, It says, when the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, and your arrows flashed, On every side, the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. They lit it up, and the earth trembled, and it shook your way through the sea. See what he's talking about here? I mean, he's showing the great might of the plagues and his power over even nature and the chaos uh, um, that um, that comes um, from nature and being out of control and he's bringing us here. This is the way through the Red Sea, the path through the Red Sea, when he divided the waters to save his people and redeem them. And yet his footprints were unseen at the time. That, As we remember, this is what, this is what it means to be part of the people of God, is that we are the redeemed people of God. That when we were in slavery to sin, um, all the way back in history in slavery to rulers In Egypt, that how God has revealed himself is that he is the redeeming God. He was not the God who left his people forever um, to languish, but he is the God who came, um, the one who even nature is afraid of, who commands all things. There is no leader who can stand in his way, but he is the one who is a redeemer and savior. But there's something else in this story I think we have to pay attention to as well. You know, you might think this is a and I think this too, this is a rather abrupt way to end this psalm. And he says, And you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Now, after God has redeemed had redeemed his people, what did he do then? He led them through the wilderness. And we see these patterns throughout history of how God has dealt with his people, that he led them into slavery and he led them out again. He led them through the wilderness and he led them into the promised land. That there were significant times where that wilderness experience, that feeling of being where things are troubling, that that has always been part of the people of God. But in the remembering this, we have the perspective to look back and to see that the way that God has worked, um, that even these things, they have served to further this story, to further create this identity of this people and for God to reveal himself to them. And more than this, of course, we read Matthew chapter 27 earlier about the words that Jesus said on the cross. As we are thinking about this psalm and we are thinking about the whole story of where we exist, what did Jesus do? As he entered into our situation, he entered into our pain, he felt all of these things and he got to the cross and experienced the radical separation between himself and God that was was ours. Um, the rift that in human rebellion we, we cause with God, he stepped into that and cried out these words, which he's quoting from Psalm 22, that my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now we see in the anguish of his own soul the feeling of being forgotten. And what we see there is two things, the Jesus that stepped into where we are and actually took that experience and that pain more than we even know, and he took it on himself in order to make reconciliation that he did not leave us even for, to take the brunt of even our own sin, like where we have contributed to this. But he said, he made, we could say, made a diligent search in and of himself and said, how are we going to fix this? How are we going to solve this break? And we will do it ourselves. And Jesus took that upon himself. But it's not just that. that as he is saying these words, this is just a powerful statement that God, this is also the answer to psalms like this, to Psalm 22, to the many others in here, to even this experience of feeling forgotten, that God is saying that I have not forgotten you. I am the one who will take this on. I am the one who will solve it. And so as we think about this story and we think about where we are and the suffering that we experience, the troubling times, however troubling they may be, that being a part of the people of God and inheriting this story is that this is our big brother. This is our father, God in heaven, who sent his son for us, who experienced the radical separation so that he could say to us that you are not alone. And so that we can be both in distress with Jesus and have the reassurances of the promises that we are not alone in Christ. And so what does this do? This moves us to be able to trust him again, to be in the middle of trouble, not separated people, but as whole people. And lastly, I want to close by saying a couple some things about this, which are really key to this psalm, but I haven't said um, uh, too much about them yet to this point. Remember that this is a psalm that is to be sung by a whole community. Um, this is even, you know, in the, in the, the, intro if you'll see the title in your bible that this is a psalm given to the choir master this is for a whole people to sing together and it has great impact on us as individuals as we see ourselves as part of the story but also we are part of a community we might not feel this way exactly Uh, we this might not be our own experience but yet by saying this and singing this we are entering into these experiences with others That these things, that this trouble that we as a people feel, that is our trouble as well, and that radically impacts um, how we sing this, how we think, how we pray, uh, and how we see ourselves in this story. And here's just a few applications. Again, talking about racial reconciliation. Somebody a couple weeks ago said who is an African American and just describing what it is like to view um, you know some of these instances of police brutality. Is it brings up this question, like God, why have you forsaken our people again and again and again? And it seems like there is no change and there is no hope. This is our story too. Your spouse, how often do you step in their shoes and even evaluate um, what is it like for them? What are their burdens? What are their stresses? What are their anxieties? Um, as much as we think about our own. other demographics and situation as well. We are, we are led to wrestle with these promises as a whole people and as a whole church. And where does that leave us? See the journey we've gone on. We've gone in the beginning from these feelings of our own, these emotions, through the questions, and to this art of remembering, placing ourselves in the whole story. And where do we end? We ended on mission. We ended on considering other people in addition to ourselves this is the journey we're on. We're on this together. Um, And what I want to go before the Lord and do this right now to pray, uh, to pray not just uh, for ourselves and as individuals, but also for us as a people, that we might take where we are, the trouble we experience, and actually in through this psalm that we would take that before the Lord, pour our hearts out to him, and do that on behalf of others as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the rawness um, that uh, it comes to us in and through. Uh, Thank you for uh, your history with us. Thank you especially for Jesus. Pray that you would give comfort to your people, particularly in these days, and give us the courage uh, that we might think about others that are beyond ourselves, and so that we together would go on this journey together, arm in arm, in hope. Um, of where you are uh, certain to lead us. Oh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.